identity theft. Little did I know that a year and a half ago, February 25th, 1916, not 1916, 2016, all right, the Sarasota Police Department received an email. The subject line said, scanned invoice. When an employee tried to open up that attachment, a malicious software locked up 160,000 documents uh, for the city of Sarasota. It demanded $33 million to unlock them. Uh, the city didn't pay. The IT security team worked all night and they were able to purge the viral emails. They restarted the system applications and they reported, excuse me, restored all the city's data from a backup system. Now, who hacked in to the, the city of Sarasota, Sarasota Police Department? The Russians. There was evidence that Russians had done it. There was an attached propaganda video from ISIS. Now, that just story just broke uh, last week, and the Sarasota Herald Tribune uh, published it. 47% of Americans have been hacked. Their identity has been stolen in some form or another. Now, how many of you, you've had that happen? You've gotten a, car, a call from a credit card company or something, you, or whatever. 47% of Americans. And it not it a little scary to think that while we're sitting here right now, someone halfway around the globe could be trying to steal your identity. That's a little scary. But friend, there's something that's a lot more frightening than that, a lot more serious and tragic than that. That there is someone who's trying to steal your spiritual and eternal identity as someone who is created by God, loved by God, and part of God's very, very important plan for the ages. God tells us in the Bible that we have three mortal enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? The world, okay, the world around us who don't know God, all right? Our own sin nature, okay, each of us has sinned. We've got a nature in us that uh, tempts us to do that. And the third one is Satan. And today we're going to focus on that for this week. We're going to talk about Satan because Satan's the master hacker of all time. And I know that there are a lot of people who don't believe in Satan. They just, you know, believe that he's a symbol of evil, all right? And, you know, I mean, he's usually painted or portrayed in, in ridiculous fashion, you know, as a guy in, the, you know, red leotards and carrying a pitchfork, okay? And that's not the Satan, all right? But... Friend, I don't know if you believe in Satan or not as a real person, as someone who really is out to destroy you. But Jesus did. Jesus believed in a real Satan. In fact, he faced him. He faced the same kinds of temptations that you do. And the Bible tells us that Satan is very real. He is a fallen angel. His name was Lucifer. He was created by God. He was an uh, angel serving God. But you know what? He wanted to be God. And so he was cast out of heaven, that he was leading a rebellion, 
He was cast out of heaven. He's separated for God forever and ever. And friend, I just want to tell you that the only joy that Satan has is to take you with him. Is to separate you from God right now and forever. And that's what God's word tells us. And so let's, you know, not put our spiritual head in the sand and think that he isn't real and think that he doesn't want to destroy your life, that he doesn't want to steal your identity as a child of God. Now, God tells us that the enemy of your soul does three things. Excuse me, two things. Number one, the enemy of your soul distorts God's identity. God is loving. God is kind. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. God is gracious and generous. But do most people view God that way? No. Well, why is that? Because God's enemies have distorted his identity. It twisted who he really is. How many of you are familiar with crazy helium video booth? How many of you have it on your phone? All right. This is one of many phone apps that you can get for free. And they take the user's face and the app replaces, uh, distorts their face and replaces their voice with a sound like a chipmunk or a robot or a bear. Okay. And it's funny. All right. But it's not funny what the world and the devil have done to God. And Genesis 3 tells us all about that. In Genesis 3, Satan twists God's word. He distorts them. He twists God's word so we, in hopes that we won't really know this real God of love. And so let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, and we read there in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, the Lord God had made. It, Satan uh, put himself in the body of, of the snake in the garden. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Hmm, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, it's very important here to say that Eve really gets a bad rap. Adam blamed Eve. God said, Adam, why did you do that? And what did he say? It's the woman you gave me, all right? And men have been doing that ever since, okay? Most men blame their wives for their major problems. And I used to blame Donna for all the dumb stuff that I did. The problem was nobody believed that that was true. They knew that wasn't right. They knew I was the one that was dumb, okay? So I just stopped doing it because it didn't work anymore. But, friend, I just want you to know that Adam is equally to blame. The words of Satan are not singular, they're plural. He's talking to more than one person. Adam was standing there right beside her the whole time. They disobeyed God together. Now, you may not have known that God was a southerner, and he said, all y'all should eat this yummy fruit because God's a rascal, and he just wants to hold all y'all down under his thumb, okay? 
I grew up in the South, so I can say that, all right? Y'all, both to blame. All of us to blame. And so, friend, this morning, I just want to ask you this. How do you think that Satan hacks his way into our heart and into our mind? Well, the first thing is by telling us that God isn't really loving. God isn't really loving. You see, Satan was able to succeed in getting Adam and Eve to forget the thousands of trees that they could eat of and focus on what? The one they couldn't. Satan was able to make them think that God is more severe, more stern, more strict, all right? Because God didn't say, you must not touch it. Eve added that. And that's what we do. When we have struggles, when we have difficulties, when a hurricane, why in the world did God send that hurricane? God didn't send the hurricane. We live in a fallen world where there is natural disasters and pestilence and disease and death. That's not God's fault. You see, Satan does that. So instead of focusing on all God had given them, Satan made them focus on the one thing, the one thing, and only thing that he withheld. God is loving. He's generous. God wants to share everything that's good for us with us. He doesn't hold you back from being all you can be. He empowers you to be more than you ever could be, ever you could even imagine to be. He doesn't want to keep you from having fun. He wants to keep you from destroying your fun and your family and your future. That's God. That's his identity. Jesus said he's the, he's the father of all lies. But Satan is clever. And the most dangerous lies, are they're not the outright lies that no one would believe. They're the half-truths. And so Satan takes those truths and then only states half of them. And he twists the truth about God. He, he hacks into our heart and our mind to make us think that God isn't really loving. The second thing, he makes us think that God isn't really truthful. And here's a good point. In verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, Now, if you eat, if you take of that fruit that God's withholding from you, <laughs> you won't die. You will certainly not die. And what happened? They ate. Did they die? Did they drop the keel over right there? Did they die? No, they lived many more years. They didn't die. No, yes, they did. You see, God's definition of death, the, de the, word, the definition of God's word for death, is different than our definition. If you ask someone, what's death? They'll probably say something like, well, that's when your heart stops beating. But God's word for death doesn't mean your heart stops beating. Doesn't mean that your soul, you know, your uh, brain stops sending out brain waves. God's definition for death means separation. 
physical death, and there's a difference between physical death and spiritual death. Physical death is when your soul is separated from your body, all right? And so that's what we refer to. But spiritual death is your soul being separated from God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, what did they do? They ran and hid. They separated themselves from God. They felt such guilt. They didn't want to be near God. You see, that's what happens. That's what Satan accomplishes his great goal, to separate us from the Lord. And because of their choice, then, they were cast out of the garden of God's presence. Now, was that because God didn't love them anymore? No. Because they disobeyed him. Because they were hiding. And Satan said to him, hey, I, I, I know God said not to eat that, but <laughs> listen, <laughs> nothing bad's going to happen. You're going to enjoy it. It'll be good for you. You see, that's how Satan distorts God's word. And, and uh, most Americans now, now believe uh, this, that, that uh, God says, uh, you know, hey, God's not going to, God's going to throw open the gates of heaven for everybody except for Hitler because he's loving and kind. And you know what? That's exactly the conclusion I would come to also. That's exactly the way I would feel and think and conclude. God is so loving. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he wouldn't separate anybody from him for all of eternity. That's just what our natural mind is going to think. I would think that too. If I didn't know what God said. If I didn't know what Jesus said. And you see, God's word tells us that we choose to follow Jesus into the kingdom of heaven or we refuse to follow his son. We don't accept the sacrifice that God offered for our sins. And the Bible says we separate ourselves from God's kingdom forever and ever. You see, this is so important. God really is truthful. But Satan distorts that. And, and Here's why it's important. See, if God is not telling us the truth in his word, then he's lying to us. And if he's lying, he's not loving. Satan, the enemy of your soul, his great, great desire is to distort God's identity so that you do not worship the real God, so that you do not give yourself to him. Satan, the enemy of your soul, distorts God's identity, and therefore he tries to destroy your identity as well. Verse 5, let's go on. God knows, the serpent said, God knows, Adam and Eve, that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. Well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Because in reality, you see, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be like God. God tells us to be like him. God's loving and he tells us to be loving. God lives a holy life. He wants us to live holy lives. Our problem is not wanting to become like God. Our problem is we want to be God. Satan told Adam and Eve they'd become like God 
by disobeying God. Now, does that make any sense? How could you become like God by disobeying God? He wasn't truthful. Satan told them to take God's place and decide for themselves what was best for them. Satan was telling them to be their own God. Satan led them to believe that they could disobey God and they wouldn't, there wouldn't be any bad consequences. And friend, that's the temptation that we face when we think, oh, you know, I know what God says to do, but that's not going to work out. I, I know what's best for me. My, my way's better than God's ways. I mean, how many times have we thought that? Most of you, I'll say all of you, all of you are very good people. You want to do right. You want to live a good life. You want to help other people. You're good people. The problem with being good people <laughs> is that we may feel like, ah, we, that, we never do what Adam and Eve did. I'm close to God. I wouldn't do that. But friend, have you ever been as close to God as Adam and Eve were in the garden? I mean, every afternoon in the cool of the day, God would come down and walk with them. Literally, God would come and be in their presence and walk with them and talk with them. I mean, God do that for you? Do you have a four o'clock tea time with God? I mean, does he literally show up? I mean, what I'm, my point here is, uh, Adam and Eve were as close to God as any humans could have possibly been. And they fell for Satan's lie. Let's not say, oh, well, you know, I'll never think wrong things about God. I'll never think that you know, my way is better than his, and do that. We're all tempted to do that. A private in the army, I bet every private who has ever served in the army many times thought that what they wanted to do was far better than what their commanding officer was telling them to do, right? Now, what would happen if in battle privates didn't obey their commanding officer. They'd lose every battle. What will happen to us if we don't obey our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll lose the costliest battle of all, the battle for our soul. In verse 5, Satan continued his assault. On Adam and Eve. And he says this. God knows Adam and Eve. And people in Sarasota. That when you eat from it. That your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. And I think that's important. And, and here's, here's one reason why. Don't know why it is. But it's true. That we humans have an insatiable desire to hear about and know about evil. Now, what sells, good news or bad news? Bad news. 
when you watch the news, is it about the good things that good people are doing or the bad things that bad people are doing? And why is that? Because that's what sells. That's what increases the ratings. We, we want to know about evil. Evil seems to be a lot more intriguing to us. And friend, God wants you to know about evil. He really does. But he wants you, this is huge, he wants you to know it by revelation, not by experience. One day, one of our sons said to me, Dad, I know what you're telling me to do. I know what you're telling me not to do. But I want to learn by doing what I'm not supposed to learn to do. And I'm going, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> I thought that. Fortunately, I didn't say it. Okay? God wants us to know evil by his revelation of it, not by our experience of it. God has told us the consequences of evil, and he does not want us to suffer those consequences. And the best thing that we can do is obey. And the best way to really know evil <laughs> is to obey God and not suffer the consequences we would bring upon ourselves. Our enemies, they distort God's identity. They try to destroy our identity. But friend, here's the great news. That Jesus Christ protects our identity. Our eternal identity. Our true identity. Who are you? Who are you really? What's the most important thing about you? Not that you're a plumber or a professor. Not that you're male or female. Not that you're tall or short. Not that you have your degrees or don't have your degrees. Not that you are wealthy or poor. What is your true identity? What is the essence of you that is the most valuable thing and eternal and ultimate and essential thing about you? What's our true identity? And here are a few things. Number one, we are created. But we're not the creator. God is sovereign. Not us. Who's running the universe right now? Are you doing it? You pushing the joystick? You doing it on your iPhone? Oh, keep this galaxy away from this galaxy, okay? Who is running the universe right now? God or you? God. And friend, be thankful. Billions of stars and galaxies. Now, what if you were responsible for keeping billions of stars and galaxies all in a perfect orbit so they didn't crash? What if that was your responsibility? If I were God, millions of stars and planets would be crashing into each other every day. And it's not because you've seen me drive and you know that's what would happen. That's not what I'm referring to, Okay. Millions of stars and galaxies stay in orbit and don't crash because God is sovereign. Because God created natural laws like gravity, like inertia, 
God created the natural law of gravity to keep you from flying off out into endless outer space. God created, established natural laws because he's sovereign, because he's the creator, okay? And the planets and the galaxies follow his laws. God also created moral laws. Why? To protect us. To protect us. Because he loves us. Not because he wants to keep us under his sovereign thumb. And when God tells us not to do something, it's for our good. You see, friend, that's our true identity, that there's a creator who loves you and is providing for you and taking care of you and protecting you, all right? He's sovereign. He's the creator. You're not. And the worst thing that we can do is say to our creator, your way is wrong. He's the creator. God's sovereign. Second thing is God is stronger. You see, you and I, we have severe limitations to our strength. We have severe limitations to what we can do. Uh, years ago, uh, we were looking uh, for a, a bigger house because Donna's parents were come to live with us. And so uh, they sold their house, and we sold ours, and we went together, and we bought a bigger house on a bigger lot. And it was a beautiful house with many, many, many beautiful trees. Now, it did not take me long to discover that big, beautiful trees shed, especially during a Florida thunderstorm or hurricane, okay? It did not take me long to find out that to take care of that lawn took me three or four hours a day, and at the end, I had about eight 30-gallon trash cans of pine cones, pine needles, broken limbs, etc., lined up for pickup. One day, there was a very powerful windstorm, and it knocked just this huge limb. Fortunately, it did not hit the house. Okay, I'm not much of a tool guy, so the best, best thing I had to work with this was a handsaw. So I went out in this huge limb, and I'm trying to cut all these into pieces, you know, about that long so I can, you know, get them in the, in the trash bin, all right? My neighbor, Jerry, who had a Boku tools, uh, I'm sure watched me for a half hour or so laughing and, and, and the like. But uh, then he, no, he came out right away, and he came out with his chainsaw. I had worked for a half hour and had maybe three pieces, of, you know, three little logs or something. Well, he came out, and he went, <laughs> okay. Jerry's tool, Jerry's chainsaw was a lot stronger than my handsaw. Friend, we're the handsaw. God's the power tool. God's the creator. God is so much stronger. We have our limitations. God did not create you to be able to handle everything. Then you'd think you didn't need him. And we do. God is stronger. And, you know, we Americans, we love the Declaration of Independence. Because we don't want to be under any other authority. The tragedy is that the sin nature in us wants to sign a declaration of independence from God. 
That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what we do when we say, I want to do it my way rather than God's way. When we disobey God, we tell him, I'm my God. I'm going to be my God. You're not. What is our true identity? We're created. We're not the creator. We're strong in Christ. We are not sufficient in ourselves. God made us to need him. Friend, you need him right now. Right now, are you making the oxygen that's keeping you alive? Have you been sitting here this morning during this service saying, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart to keep you away, alive? Or has God been doing that? He is the source of our life. We are insufficient in and of ourselves. We need him. We need him. We need him for the big things. We need him for the small things. We need him. Some of us are trying to change our spouse. Just want to ask you, how's that working? Is that, is that going well? Okay. If you do, share a few tips with me. All right. Not working for me. All right. We try to change our family, our spouse, our children, whatever. You can't. Now, you know God can. And maybe you've prayed and God hasn't done it yet. But you know what God's method is? God wants to change us first. And then he wants our, our spouse, and then he wants our children, then he wants our neighbors, then he wants others to see change in us. And you see, then he can start working in them. Some of you are trying to control your kids. You can't. I referred to one of our sons who, who, uh, who was very strong-willed. And Don and I went through a very, very difficult season with him. There were times I had to leave the house and go for a walk just so I could cry out to God. Because there was nothing, nothing that I could do. But I gave it to God. And one day I was reading in Mark chapter 9, and there was a story about this man who brought his son, and his son had an evil spirit in him. And I wouldn't say my son had evil spirits, but he had a spirit that was inclined to evil in his life. And I was reading in Mark chapter 9, and this father, there's nothing he could do. He had tried doctors, everything, uh, for years, nothing he could do. In the Mark chapter 9, it says, And the father brought his son and gave him to Jesus. And then it says, And Jesus healed him and drew him back to the father. And that's what I did that night. I said, Thank you, God. I'm not God. I can't change him. But you can work in his life and do things that I can never have done. And friend, that's the reality for every challenge of life, every relationship we have, every problem that arises in our life, that we need God. And he wants to work. We didn't create ourselves. The creator did. He's God. I said that Jesus is the only one 
who can protect your true eternal identity. And Genesis chapter 3 concludes with this. Adam and Eve have sinned. They have brought just untold consequences on themselves and their family. And what does the Lord God do? Verse 21, the Lord God made garments from animal skins for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. You see, it not only separated them, their sin, their disobedience not only separated them from God, it separated them from each other. They had been naked up to this point and unashamed. You see, they had no secrets. There was no guilt. There was no conflict between them. But after they sinned, you see, sin and not only just separates us from God, but it separates us from other people too. And God, what did he do? Where did those skins come from? From an animal that God sacrificed to cover their shame and their sin and their guilt and their conflict. And friend, that was not only for Adam and Eve, a sacrifice for their sin. That was a prophetic act. It pointed to the day when God would sacrifice his son, his only son, his sinless son, for all of us who are sinners. God paid the price so that anyone who will accept this act of mercy and grace by our sovereign God will be saved. Anyone who turns from sin and follows God's son as their Savior and Lord will be saved. Jesus, the one who can protect you. That's our true identity. We were victorious in Christ. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, it's important. I can do all things, all things that matter. <laughs> all things that matter to God, all things that matter for you, to you, all things that matter for eternity. We can do those things through, through Christ who gives us strength. We're victorious in Christ. We're defeated without him because we are no match for our mortal enemy. And finally, we are powerless without Christ and the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18 says this. Jesus, he, Jesus, is the head of the body, which is the church. The body of Christ. Those who are following Jesus Christ. He's the head. And it's likened to a human body with all its different parts. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this. Now, you, you who know Jesus, you who are following Jesus, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, okay? In verse 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Friends, you're a part of the body of Christ if you know Christ and are following Christ. What happens if you're cut off from the head of a body. You're a body part, all right? You're a hand, you're a foot, all right? What happens if you're cut off from the head? You die. You need the head. But what happens if you're a hand and you're cut off from the body? The hand dies. It, at first it can do nothing, but then it shrivels up and dies. And friend, that's God's plan. 
that we be part of the body of Christ, that together he gives us strength, that together we do the things that God wants to do. Hey, Alliance, your pastors, your elders, your governing board uh, members, your, your ministry leaders here, we have been asking God, we've been praying, we've been looking to the Lord. We really want to be the body of Christ. We live in a community of people that desperately need Jesus Christ. And we want to make a difference. We want to see more people come to Christ. We want to be connected to our head. We want him to be leading us, him to be the head. We want to be connected to each other so that together God can infuse us with his power and his might to do things that really matter. And friend, I just ask you this morning, are you connected to the head? Because apart from him, apart from the head, Jesus Christ, you have no spiritual life. Are you connected to him? Are you following him as your Savior and your Lord? Are you connected to the rest of the body? Are you, are you in a small group where you can grow with other people? Are you in a, a ministry team of some kind? We have a lot of ministry teams doing all our ministries here. And, you know, when we serve together, then we grow together and we make a difference. Are you connected to the head, Jesus Christ? Are you connected to the body of Christ so that you're growing, so you are making a difference, so that you are fulfilling your true identity? that matters for all of eternity. Identity theft. It's real. It's real, you know, with your finances. It's real with personal information, health information, whatever. Identity theft is occurring. But friend, that's nothing compared to the identity theft of our soul, of our spirit, of who we truly are and truly will be forever and ever in Christ Jesus. Today, we've talked about identity theft. And now, in weeks to come, you see, God loves us so much, and he's going to build us up, and he's going to do great things in us as we are the people that he created us to be. We start with those who want to destroy us. The enemies of your soul, the master hacker, who's been eternally separated from God, and there's nothing the only joy that he has is trying to take you with him, trying to separate you from God, separate you from Jesus Christ, separate you from the body of Christ, now and forever. Jesus Christ came so that wouldn't happen. Jesus Christ is knocking at the door of your heart, and he wants to come in and be your Savior and Lord, so it never happens to you, so that you're walking with him. Shall we pray? God, Thank you for reveal. Thank you for giving us your word. It reveals truths to us we can never discover for ourselves. We don't see Satan, but he's real. And he's out to destroy us. And God, may we, may we walk with Jesus. May we follow him as our Savior and Lord, because he is our protector. He's our Savior. He's our Lord, he's our protector, and he's our guide to your eternal home in heaven. And may he be that for each one of us. Oh God, may we be connected to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be connected to the body of Christ, serving, growing, praying together, becoming all that you want us to be. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your son. You are great.
You are almighty. You are sovereign. We are not. You're the creator. We're the created being. We are the ones who disobeyed you, but you were willing to offer your one and only son so that all our sins could be forgiven. God, you are great. Great is our God who gives us our lives. And this week, may we serve you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing?